I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Series 3, Episode 2 of Old Brother, a podcast about Salford slash Manchester's legendary musical institution, The Fall. Each week we invite on a guest to chat about their experiences and memories of the group. You can find us at Spotify, Apple and all the usual suspects, but we're hosted at play.acast.com forward slash s forward slash Old Brother. All episodes are also available on YouTube. Search for Old Brother Podcast and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. This week we're joined by the marvellous David Nolan, who discusses his career as producer at Granada, his writing and documentary making, and of course, his fascinating interactions with The Fall. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, yeah. welcome to the wait, late, wait, latest edition of uh, Old Brother. I nearly forgot the name of the programme in the last great minute. It's the latest edition of Top of the Pops, uh, with me, Paul Hanley, and my brother Steve. And Hello. Delighted... Hello, Steve. Uh, you well? Yeah, I'm okay, yeah. Good. Right, so this week we're delighted to uh, welcome... Now, we'll have to find out what he, what his preferred job title is. Uh, it says, we've got on Wikipedia, it's television producer and author. I suspect he's more the latter than the mm. former now, but we can we can say that. That's Mr. David Nolan, author yeah. of I Wish I Was There. I Wish I Was There. See, I'm not I'm doing very well here. No, no. Was there? you can't even get the name of the book. It's, it's uh, Fred Carno. This is. Where I was there. That's it's the Fred yeah. Carno. This. It's you. <laughs> it's you wishing you were there. This is, this is slick. I wish I was there. I know. I swear I was there. Anyway. So good. Good morning, David. How are you? Are you well? Not so bad. Yeah, not so bad. Busy. Um, I, I, I try not to be too busy because um, that's a mods game, isn't it? But um, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm just I'm just cracking on and I'm doing, uh, you know, I've got a new um, novel out, so I've been out and about kind of flogging that in my endless library tour. I'm like Bob, I'm the Bob Dylan of libraries. <laughs> I just endlessly go and do talks at libraries and. Um, uh, it's a wonder you can find enough these days. Well, do you know, it's a weird thing. Look, we've digressed already. We've only just started. Is that some, areas, some areas have got loads of libraries. Like Warrington has got about a dozen libraries. Berry has got about three. Right. So it depends where you go. Some places um, have got tons of libraries. Some places haven't got tons of libraries. The, the problem is it's very bad PR to close libraries. Yeah, of course. So they tend not to close them. They tend to keep them open, even if no bugger goes in there. So, um, yeah, luckily for me, there's still plenty of libraries, and um, and I will not rest until I've uh, I've been to every one of them. Oh, right. Okay. I mean, people they'll be busier this winter. Won't they? People are going in there to keep warm. I think there'll be a lot of people in libraries. Yeah. Well, that's the other funny thing about libraries is that actually for a lot of libraries. Um, Books is actually a, the very a minor part of what they do, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you so it's a citizens advice bureau. It's a it's a help center. You can pay your bills, all this kind of thing. I mean, yeah. I sound like I'm a PR guy for libraries, but no, no, no. 
um, you know, if, if, if you're like me and you grew up a house in a house that didn't have books in it, yeah. then libraries are the greatest buildings in the world, you know? Of course, yeah. I mean, I've always been banging on about that, you know, that, that kind of third space where, you, you, can, you know, somewhere that, because I, people didn't have books, did they? I mean, no, I don't want to be like four Yorkshiremen, but they, they, they were expensive things, books, and life totally. were, were an amazing part of my youth or our, yeah, our we youth. Yeah, we used to yeah. spend a lot of time, in, didn't we, in that one? Yeah. And imagine being a card, like being given a little piece of cardboard and, you know, with some writing on in biro and being told as a kind of, as an sort of curious kid, if you'll forgive the expression, yeah, yeah. if you take this bit of cardboard, you can take, you can look at any book that you want to. Yeah. Really? Honest. Yeah. yeah amazing. It's an amazing thing. I mean, you know, let's hope, I mean, let's hope it has a bit of a resurgence. Um, so the reason we've asked you on, well, uh, before we, Leave the thing about the library tour. I went to see you at uh, Ulti Library, Ultingham mm. Library, a couple of weeks ago. And I've been to a few book events. I mean, I've done a few. I've, sp- I've been to too many of Steve's. I know that. But <laughs> um, it was really, really an excellent book event. It was completely different from any other book event I've been to. You didn't read out of the book, for instance, did you? No, why, why should the, why, you know, there's no point in, you know, having a dog and barking yourself, is there? You know, that's your job <laughs> to read the book, not my flipping job. And also I don't like doing it because, A, I don't think, because it's, it's not designed to be read out. It's, it's designed to be read yeah. inside your head. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's not, a, a, yeah, it's a bit pointless anyway. And also every time I do it, I go, oh, do you know what? I could have just switched that sentence around there and it would have been just that little bit better. Yeah. And um, it drives me mad. So I, I don't <laughs> do it. And I do bill it as a kind of like, well, if you've been to a book do before, you haven't been to one like this. Yeah. And he's, he's not a bloke just reading stuff out. It's like part therapy, part Stand up, part story, part um, uh, you know. There's, there's some laughs in it, but there's some yeah. not laughs in it as well. There's some. There's a couple of dark points there when yeah. I was there. I wish, I, say. I wish I'd gone to Edgeley Library last week. Now, well, <laughs> yeah. you're all, well, yes, well, maybe if you had a time machine, you could do. Even though this is going out live now, <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I had COVID. That was my excuse. Yeah, yeah. well, we know you COVID. Yeah, we had to we had to cancel the podcast. Edgley's this week, you're perfectly able to go to oh, Edgley. I thought oh, you were okay. being clever there. Sorry, I thought you were being clever. No, saying, no. Oh, yeah, oh, it oh, yeah, it was getting a bit meta there. So you were pretending. Uh, yes. Got you. <laughs> yes. No, oh, I'm, doing, I'm in, I'm in Titan and Edgley and Bolton and okay. uh, Ramsbottom and Salford to Swinton. You, you, you name it. If it's 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 there. Is it Friday? Yeah. Edgley. Ah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I've got a. D- double booking because Tom Ingley from the Inspirals is playing my local. <laughs> we'll sack him off then. There you go. You're done. <laughs> You've seen Tom, haven't you? Let's face it. Yeah. I'll be done by half seven anyway, so you could do both. You could actually. probably do both, yeah. Oh, there's yeah. a night. <laughs> right. You can listen to someone going on uh, about themselves and the past, uh, and then you can go and see David. <laughs> so, moving on. So, um, yes. I want to get to talking about the, that those Sex Pistols gigs and uh, who from the fall was or wasn't there. But just to, uh, by way of uh, a bit of background, you started with the uh, at Granada, didn't you, to doing the documentary first before you wrote the book about it? Um, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been a journalist for a very long time, yeah. and I've done it. You know, I've been a journalist since like 1981. So, um, and I'd, you know, I'd worked in newspapers and magazines. I worked at Piccadilly Radio for quite a long time. 261. 261, that's a sticker. Um, yeah. And that's that's a really big thing. I still people, I tell people, you know, all the illustrious things I've done. And a lot of people of a certain generation will go, you worked at Piccadilly? Bloody hell, you know. Because <laughs> it was a massive, massive, massive deal to work yeah. at Piccadilly. Yeah. It was. Massive. Well, I mean- not as massive as me as Granada, because I, mean, I think you, you picked up on this when you were talking. Granada, quite possibly, certainly if for music, is probably the greatest TV station, station ever, isn't it? In terms of it, it was for music, you know, it was. It, it, absolutely, yeah, it is. And then I went to Granada as a, a reporter, and I kind of worked my way up until I was making documentaries and stuff like that. And I was, mm-hmm. I was talking about this with one of my kids the other day, and he said to me, kind of like, you know, before the internet and stuff like that, where did you get kind of information about bands and what was going on and what was worth 
checking out and what wasn't worth checking out? And bizarrely, the answer to that was, I watch my local news programme. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of people can say that. I don't think, you know, people in the South thought there's a lot of, was the same, I don't think. Yeah, you can't go to, nobody who grew up in Southampton could go like, yeah, yeah, I I remember seeing, I remember seeing that great Southampton band. Okay, well, there aren't any. Um, (laughs) And I saw them for the first time on TV Southwest. Yeah. At the end of the news. Of course not. But we're, but we're the blessed ones because, you know, we saw, Joy Division at the end of Granada Reports. Yeah. First time we saw Echo and the Bunny Men. Yeah. Um, doing, you know, pictures on a wall, um, you know, after they only formed a couple of weeks earlier. Yeah. You know, and then you've got all the treasure trove of the, of the, of the whole Granada um, archive, you know. Yeah, I was going to say because you've got 30 the seconds of the ball. That's Granada. You know, the big documentary about the doors. Yeah. Like, uh, like yeah. The Doors won um, uh, Stones in Hyde Park. Stones in the Park, yeah. I'll tell you what else was. John, Johnny Cash live at San Quentin. San Quentin, that was Granada. So let's, I mean, what have you got? You've got Jerry Lee Lewis in Studio 2. You've got Sister Rosetta at Chilton yeah, train, train Station. Yeah. You've got Mark Boland. You've yeah. got all the kind of the pop stuff, you know, um, you know the the rollers yeah. and all of that. You've got So It Goes. Mark Riley or... Sorry, Matt Riley always reckons, you know, the, the big thing everyone always goes on about Starman on top of the pops. Yeah. He saw a, saw him do it two weeks before on Lift Off with Aisha, which was a Granada program. So- yeah. So you've got all that, and then you've got, yeah, you so it goes, and your other side of midnight. You've got, you know, it is this incredible. Imagine trying to make a TV documentary now if that Granada archive didn't exist. Yeah. Mm. You'd be yeah. knackered. Def- definitely. So, so yeah, so I was part of that, and then right. I, you know, and I was so obviously I was just, you know, for a, for a, for a music kid like me to be then in, in basically given the keys to the kingdom, and this, and and that's what Granada was like. It was like, what do you want to make? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you imagine what do you want to make? <laughs> no, the first how, the first how, thing. How, I, why was it that free then? Uh, it was because it was written into their constitution. Right, right. The, the Bernstein's wrote into their kind of manifesto, if you like, that the main reason that Granada was there was to enrich the cultural lives of the people of the northwest of England. Okay. So it, it was written into the into the kind of like Blackpool through a stick of rock that um, anything creative was was Granada's bag, and. Like the first, it sounds so weird saying it out loud, but about the first series I ever made was called Wall of Fame. And we built a giant mural in Castlefield with um, famous creative Northwest people's faces on it. And as the artist drew, uh, painted it and drew it, we did these like little mini documentaries about Ian Curtis, Ellis Lowry, Gracie Fields, the Gallaghers, McCartney, Lennon, all of this. As the artist was painting him, it was the biggest piece of public art that had been made in Manchester for 30-odd years. Wow. And we just did it because we felt like it. Yeah. Is it changed now, though? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a news out. operation now. It's a yeah. news operation that they lost that when, you know, it, uh, the analog switch over happened and all this, all that remit that basically you had to make these kind of programs for the Northwest, mm-hmm. for Granada land, that disappeared. So the programs disappeared with it. So you, you, they'll never come back. You'll never have the like of that again. Well, I mean, that's true about there's no music programs on TV, is there at all? Because music programs are an absolute pain in the arse to do. They're very expensive and not many people watch them. Right. Um, so, which is bad, <laughs> bad for business. Yeah, yeah. Of course. And a program like I Swear I Was There, which is, you know, um, that I made, you know, that was my pet project that I wanted to make. That's basically why I, went, why I joined Granada and, were, and fought my way up the ranks so that I could make I Swear I Was There. And uh, you, there's no way that you could make that program now because it'd just be too expensive, right? Because mm. I mean, you got, you got everybody, didn't you? Really, for that, you know? Yeah, absolutely, we got everybody. And also, the, the great thing about Granada, a bit like the kind of Piccadilly effect, really, which was you would ring someone up and say, "Will you do this?" And they'd go, 
Uh, I, I, I'll give you an example. What the one the, the one of the loveliest people I've ever met, uh, Jordan, um, yeah. who sadly died recently. Um, absolute queen of a woman. Absolute queen of a woman. And um, we, we rang her up and said, right, we're doing this program about, you know, who was at the Lesser Free Trade Hall in 1976, seeing the Sex Pistols and all that. We, would you take part? And she said, no, you know, I mean, it's all in the past now. I don't really like talking about it. I'm very busy with, you know, my veterinary work and things like that. And who's it for again? Is it, oh, it's for Granada. Where, when do you want me? Wow. Well, she was at our last gig in London, wasn't she, Paul? She was. Yeah. What, yeah. what an absolute princess. And and that was, that was what it was like. People were people loved Granada. Yeah. And they loved the idea of it and the notion of it. And um, and very rarely would anyone say no to us. People right. would say, who's it for? It's for Granada. When do you want me? Well, uh, that that documentary has got one of my favourite interviews ever, which is um, Mike Rossi and uh, Wayne Barrett. It's the, <laughs> what a double act they were! Fantastic. Yeah. Sadly, no more. Sadly, yeah, yeah, no more. A double act. They're not dead. They're just not no, a double. No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was one of these ones where I was doing this, and that's and that's really where the kind of the book came into its own, which was the nature of television is that you throw away ninety eight percent of of what mm-hmm. you've got. Yeah, and you're thinking this is cracking stuff. This, this these lads, you know, and there's, <laughs> this bit where he, where he says because um, uh, uh, Mike Rossi speaks with an American accent now, yeah. <laughs> and he goes and he goes like and 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 inevitably the subject of Withenshaw comes up, and uh, Mike Rossi goes, "Hey, can I, David? Can I just say?" Um, Hi to all the guys in Withenshaw. Okay. Hope <laughs> you're doing okay, guys. And I'm like, okay. So self-awareness has gone out the window. Yeah, yeah. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and there's just tons of it. And that's why, you know, the book came into its own is that I had all this other material yeah. that, that I couldn't use, this other 98% of whatever it was. And and all this interplay between Barrett and Rossi and, you know, all loads of the fun stuff that, you know, uh, Mark Smith said and that I couldn't really um, use. Yeah. And also just a little bit of, but you know the the background and a bit of the extra explanation and stuff. So that so I was I was literally called into an office and said, you know that program that you're making about Sex Pistols. Do you think you could write a book about it? And I was like, yeah, okay. And um, I did. In ninety seconds, I had like a book deal later. And again, that's so Granada. That yeah. You would be called into an office, said, right? Can, do you think you can do a book to go with this program? Yeah. Right. Okay. Then piss off and write it. <laughs> thus, thus the careers are made there you go yeah it is quite a sliding and doors moment wasn't it totally yeah and it's and and it never you know when you see all these books and things and documentaries and what have you about factory records and tony and things like that yeah. and about all this you know all the, the crazy way that uh factory records was run it's mm. not crazy to me at all it's just it's the granada model yeah um, it's totally the granada model which is like have you, oh, right, have you, have you got a good idea? Yeah, right, well, we'll piss off and do it. Yeah, but that's, that's it. the thing with the thing we factored a lot of the time, have you got a bad idea, we'll go away and do it as well. There was a bit of that, wasn't there? Yeah, but if we had a laugh doing it, then it was worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, okay. So was Marky Smith at the first gig? This is the right, so here's, here's, the, here's the thing, right. Okay, so, because when, when you asked me to do this, it all kind of comes flooding back now. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's weird because I, I can't remember my kids' birthdays, but I can remember everything I had about I swear I was there. And <clears throat> we had we, we had Mark, we booked Mark in, and Mark came to Granada to to do the interview. And um, you know, and he was absolutely. I'm sorry, so this is going to disappoint any of your many millions of listeners here, lads. Yeah. But he was absolutely nice as pie. He was That's not. We're getting that. The more people we speak to, the, the, his his interactions with not uh, with people he wasn't having an ongoing relationship. I hate it with, when it people like, say that. But <laughs> he was always nice to me. <laughs> it, seems to, it seems to be a trend, though, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. 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 And he wasn't just nice to me because I was the producer, and people are nearly always nice to the producer. Yeah. He was nice to everybody else, um, which is very very telling. So nice as pie. A polite choir boy, polite, and uh, and couldn't be more helpful. But when we were chatting beforehand, 
I said to, you know, so he said, he said to me, like, you know, right. So I saw this about that. It's about Sex Pistols and Blessed Free Ted on that. So uh, there you go. There's me, Mark. Impression. You, <laughs> um, you should do, you should do like a league. Get everybody to do it and then see who comes out top. Henry Rollins is um, at the top of the charts at the moment. And, uh, well, okay, about about his superior uh, Mark impression. <laughs> so, what was that about, like, Sex Pistols and Preacher and all that? And he said, I said, yeah, it is. Oh, said, all oh, right, so, like, Buzzcocks and Slaughter the Dogs and all that. And I was like, oh, right, so you were at the second gig. Right, okay. And uh, and then we just did the interview. And then when I did the book, I, can't, I think I maybe conveniently forgot that little exchange because it wasn't recorded. It was just right. between me and him. And then I thought, and everything he said was all about the second gig and the, you know, the yeah. fighting and all this kind of stuff. But I think I kind of, maybe I did it on purpose, maybe I didn't, but I, I kind of forgot about that. And I put him in, in the first gig pile. Right, okay. Probably because it suited my purposes to do so. Because it's yeah. a better story, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, when I went, loads of, of riffraff at the second gig. Anyone with that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very, very poor door policy, in my opinion. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Um, and, out in, uh, and out again. <laughs> but that's that's the nature of the story with the free trade hall is that it is it's a myth in, inside a myth inside a conundrum inside inside a lie inside a myth. I yeah. tell you what, I, some, this might be quite a trivial thing, but I was listening to an interview with you on Glossop Record Club, and right. it said it said the lesser free trade hall was above the free trade hall. Was it not? Was it not, yeah. was it not below it? No. That's one of that's one of his most vivid memories. He's going up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> underneath. No. Well, that, that, again, that's the the kind of you know um, uh, revenge of memory. If you could see me now, I was asking you before if this was in vision. I'm wearing a doll by doll T-shirt. Wow. And revenge of memory is uh, is is uh, is a doll by doll reference. One of my favourite bands. And it's amazing how people will swear blind. We did a yeah. thing for Radio Two a couple of years ago with uh, Peter Hook. And Peter Hook swore blind that he remembers falling down the stairs to the lesser free trade hall. And we're all like, what are you talking about? It was upstairs. And but they he he was literally willing to, you know, sweat he willing to bet his house. He didn't trip over uh, you, Steve, did he? Because you were going down as well, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so, but there you go. That's and that's the beautiful thing about the story is that um, it's this clash of of knowledge and memory and all the rest of it. You know, I yeah. think the majority of people aren't liars. The majority of people who say, "Oh, I was at the gig," genuinely thought that they were. Mm-hmm. And it's only when you kind of, you know, you really, really because. Bear in mind, this was 2000, 2001 that we did this first time round. We couldn't yeah. just type it onto the internet. We had to find it out old school style. Yeah. And we formulated a, a questionnaire and all this kind of stuff. We had to do it old school style. And I don't think very few people are actual out and out liars. They're just, it's, it's the revenge of memory. So, yeah. uh, and that's what makes it fascinating. And in fact, I don't think I've ever told anybody this before, but uh, I think enough time has passed now. When, I, <laughs> when we first did, the, uh, I, I swear I was there, I only had about nine weeks to write it, and which is pretty heavy when you're working on a program all day. And I've managed to deliver it. And the publishers said, Oh, it's not long enough. So I said, well, nobody told me how long it was supposed to be. And the publisher said, yeah, yeah, we did. It's in the contract. I'd never seen a contract. That's a very Granada thing. (laughs) Very Granada move that was. So I I had no idea. So they said, right, well, we can't publish this. So it's all off. Oh, cool. And I was like, I've I've just worked my guts out for this. He said, right, well, if if you can add like 25,000 words to it by tomorrow. <laughs> what? We'll, we'll publish it. So I went home in bits. I was distraught. Uh, I went home in bits. And what I did was all the stuff that was contradicted each other, where people contradicted another person, that, that kind of like journalistically was like, well, you know, well, we can't use that because it just contradicts yeah. something else. I put it all back in. Right. I literally scooped it all up, all the stuff where people contradicted each other, and I plonked it back in. 
And if I hadn't have done that, you and I, us three would not be having this conversation now. And and nobody would, because it's the contradictions and the, he said, he said this and they said that, and he was never there and all that kind of funny stuff. Yeah. That absolutely makes the book. Made it, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a big argument about whose idea it was to get Slaughter and the Dogs on, isn't there? There, there, was, there was, because if you ask Wayne uh, Barrett and they say that the Sex Pistols contacted them directly and then Pete Shelley says, I contacted them. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think Buzz got massively pleased that they were on, were they? No. No, no, it wasn't. I think... Um... Uh, it, it, the, the, that, the hatred there, you know, survives yeah. to this day. <laughs> I know, I and, can't um, believe that. What, what, why? Why didn't they like each other, two bands? I th- well, be, be, um, the, because the uh, Buzzcocks lads, particularly Devoto, fancied himself as the intellectual mm. and fancied himself as the, the artist. And and you know, I mean, he literally says in in the book that he didn't really, as he puts it, care for the whole aesthetic of punk. Yeah, and and, and you imagine the lads from Withenshaw having to swallow that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's 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 you know the chalkiest and the cheesiest of mixes. Yes, of course. So it's not surprising in the slightest, is it? In a way. I know, but you would think. Well, they're not the, that, but they're not, you know, in terms of bands, they're not that far apart, are they? Really? Not at all. No. I mean, you would think the intervening whatever forty odd years, yeah. they <laughs> managed to gain some kind of perspective on it. <laughs> well, lads, I, I don't need to be here explaining to you that there's no beef like old Manchester punk beef, is there? No, indeed. Yeah, I, I shouldn't be explaining this to you, lads, should I? <laughs> so. Um, well, what, that interaction with Mark, so you interviewed him for that. So we're pretty sure he was at the second one now, aren't we? I think. Yeah, yeah. But and, and when I did another edition, there's been quite a few editions of I Swear I Was There over the years. There's even an Italian edition, um, um, which uh, which I think I'm, I'm the only person who's got a copy of. Um, so it's had a, a variety of editions, and I've added things over the years. And um, I've added, like, for example, after the first edition, somebody like left some photographs on the on the reception at Granada for me, um, and like, oh, I took some photographs at the first gig. I don't think you, I don't suppose you're interested. Yes, I am interested. <laughs> this was before people saw the war- the worth of things like this, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we cut them into the second broadcast of the program, and then I included them in the next edition of the of the of, of the show, and that was. Um, uh, Paul Welsh's uh, pictures, which are actually on display at Manchester's Central Library as we speak. Yes. Um, so if you want to go along and have a look at Paul's pictures. So I was able to incorporate that, and then I found other people. I'm still doing it now. I'm still, <laughs> even 20 years later, I'm still getting people coming up to me and saying, oh, I, I was at the, the, the gig and this, that, and the other. And, in fact, if there's another edition of the book, I've got the scoop of all scoops oh, uh, okay. that I'm, I'm sitting on and holding oh, tight. Right, okay. Oh, okay. Um, when we, we pretend to stop recording you can tell us that will i buggery um, <laughs> but, um, what can you uh, yeah. say about it that's not already been said well that's we the scoop say. you see that is the scoop right there it never happened <laughs> yeah, it was all a dream like yeah. dallas <laughs> but yeah mark mark was great and he um uh yeah pretty much at the, the second second gig and it's his interview. People, people still remember it. Now, a mate of mine called uh, Richard Makinson was the assistant producer on the program, and he's now, you know, making amazing programs of his own. And he's just done a, a great documentary on BritBox about British music. And as part of this, he had to interview uh, Johnny Marr. Yeah. And he's having a chat with Johnny as the cameras are setting up. And Johnny says to him, oh, what other programs have you made? So he says, well, I've made this, I've made that. And I used to work at Granada and made quite a few music programs. Then, And Johnny says, oh, what like? He says, well, it was his sister producer on I Swear I Was There. And Johnny's like, I love that program. Yeah. Oh, God, I love it. I was watching it the other night. And do you remember my favourite bit, Johnny says, my favourite bit is where you ask Marky Swift a question and he drinks an entire bottle of beer while he's thinking about it and then answers the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a skill that that's you know yeah. and he didn't and he doesn't drop a beat either when he does it no. and he's a really good answer he gives as well um so yeah we had a good you know we had a couple of beats it was i'm gonna say we did the interview it wasn't quite lunchtime when we did the interview but we you know we had a few beers and we had a good mm-hmm. time and all the rest of it and it was just really really good and just cracking stories like you know mark saying uh that they were in cox's bar 
um, yes. which is round, which was round the back of the free trade hall. And he's he's, he's in Cox's bar and he says, "And this bloke comes in with like ginger curly hair and winkle pickers and that." It's Martin McLaren, and Martin McLaren says to him, Are "You coming to the gig, lads?" And we said to him, "Oh, we're just weighing it up, Malcolm." You know, so <laughs> just great stuff. You know, just yeah. funny. And that's I think I think I swear I was there. I've got a funny little place in kind of music documentaries and in books is yeah. that it is actually it's really funny yeah it's a funny completely in, in that sex pistols film the, the, the steve jones um did you see that the, you know, yeah the, yeah the, i did the, i liked it but there wasn't many laughs right, yeah. in it was there no the, well no i mean i don't there was it was some of it was a bit grim but um i mean um they completely avoided the whole manchester thing didn't they I yeah i mean maybe you know because danny ball's from up the road isn't he so yeah. um Maybe he thought, well, you know, Nolan's got that pretty well covered. I don't want to be treading on his territory. Well, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it has, you know, I mean, again, we're looking at it now in terms of now, but when we did it first time round, this was all new territory, this, that people, someone would take the time and trouble to go and track down Solstice, the support band. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, um, it's actually like music books now, really, is that music books now tend to not be, oh, here's a book about, you know, the 1975 or something yeah. like that. Music books now tend to be more kind of conceptual, yeah. which like tracking down, like there's a lad who's just done one where he's tracked down all the bands who were on the C86 cassette. Yes. Oh, yes. That's right. Yeah. 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 So it's called, isn't it? Is it called Totally Weird? Um, it, no, there's a different. That's a different book. Talk about. No, so they tend to be kind of like ideas books. Yes, like about you no, know, like the, uh, Ted Kessler's just done one about you know, the last days of Q magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's about a kind of an idea or a concept, yeah. rather than a specific um, band or yeah. even a specific genre. Um, I mean, and and I'd like to think that a lot of those kind of things have, have, have you know come from. I swear I was there, which was like one of the first kind of conceptual books. It's not about the Sex Pistols. It's about this idea and this notion of the free trade hall, you know. And I'm not saying saying that, um, you know, any other recent books maybe written by a Hanley might have (laughs) drawn inspiration from this. I'm not saying that. I can can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) (laughs) That's a yes then. I told you that at the time on Twitter. I told you that day. I was really inspired by that book to just to sort of look at the bigger kind of rather than just being this is what happened because I don't think you don't really need to look for facts anymore. Do you in books? I don't, you know, you need them, but there has to be more to it than that, I think, doesn't there? It has to be something more than I could look up on the internet. Yes. And that's always the the, 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 tr- the thing that I've always aimed for with my, you know, and I've written lots of books about lots of different musical genres, but the, the, the thing I'm always after is the thing that you find out whereby someone has to go and change Wikipedia. <laughs> because yeah. of something that I found out, and it's and I think this music's so fragmented now that this idea yeah. of oh a single band or a single movement—I mean, you don't really get movements anymore, do you? But no. um, that, that can unify everybody or unify a large number of people—that's gone. Yeah. So that's why you get less books that are specifically about bands, and more mm-hmm. books that are about are like conceptual and are more about ideas and yeah. uh, about record labels or uh, with a concept or a conceit. You know. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Yeah. So there's a question for you. Was it that important then, that those two Sex Pistols gigs? Um, well, uh, yeah, it does beg the question, would them people have formed bands anyway, really? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's two ways of looking at the whole free trade hall thing. One way of looking at it is um, it was uh, it threw a match onto um, something that was already kind of soaked in petrol. Okay, right. and and it you know and you know you know would Peter Hook have gone to Mazel Radio and bought his bass for thirty quid the day after or not? Now he says he wouldn't have done that, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, and I take his word for it. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's this spark and it's this idea and it's concept and it's it's this explosion which creates another series of explosions which create another series of explosions and it's like a game. And Paul Morley, yeah. you know, says this in the book really articulately, which is like it's like a game that you can play, which is like you can trace things back to the lesser free trade hall mm-hmm. by saying to someone, right, who's your favourite band? Um, uh, Green Day, okay. Green Day, Buzzcocks, Buzzcocks, Free Trade Hall. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who's your favourite band? Interpol. Okay. Interpol, Joy Division, Joy Division, Free Trade Hall. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, you, it's like a parlour game yeah. that you can play. It's like a six degrees of separation. Yeah, it is. The other way of looking at it is that it's it's that it is a conceit and a nonsense, largely invented by Tony Wilson because <laughs> it suited his narrative. Yeah. And um, which which got some interesting results. Um, am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, you can tell me. Yeah, yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> and so Tony Wilson, Tony Wilson was very very protective of this, and um, yeah. as you may know, I wrote a book about Tony as well after uh, after he died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, but t- Tony was 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 very supportive of I swear I was there, and in fact he kind of he came into a meeting once, and it was his idea to to include the the first TV performance yes. and this that, and the other. Yeah. That was his, that was Tony's idea, and it was a really good idea to have like three events during the summer of yes. seventy six mm-hmm. Manchester. Brilliant idea. That was Tony's idea. So when the book was re-released, Tony at the time was he wasn't quite on his uppers, but he wasn't far off. And right. he was doing a programme on a Saturday morning for BBC Radio Manchester. And he would have like people on and interesting people on and this, that and the other. And he had me on to talk about the new edition of I Swear I Was There. Yeah. And he was great and super supportive and this, that and the other. And we had to go to the traffic and travel, and which means that the mics go off. So we went to yeah. the traffic and travel and Tony gets up and he's a big guy. He was a big guy, Tony Wilson, you know, for me, I'm, I'm reasonably petite. And he was, you know, he was a big bloke and he, he stood up and he loomed over me and he said to me, you saying in the book was f- that I wasn't at that gig was fucking snide. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, Ah, thanks for the traffic and travel there. And back with me now is David Nolan, author of I Swear I Was There. And let's talk more about the Sex Pistols of the Free Trade Hall. Like nothing had happened. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was not happy about it at all. But well, he, he was at the second one, wasn't he? Well, was he it? swore blind that he was at the first one because that right. suited his narrative. Ah, right, okay. okay. That suited his narrative. But even though I'd managed to put line up a dozen people who said that he wasn't there, he still wouldn't have it. And right. um he would not have it at all. But because that that was that was Tony's kind of conceit was that all the clever creative people in Manchester were at the first gig and that's yeah. where the explosion was. And the second one was all full of no offense oiks. Right, okay. So that was Tony's not, narrative. Not taking it, Steve. No, no. You know, if it wasn't for Tony, then you have yes. to bear in mind, you know, going back to that Granada land thing, you know, the first mm-hmm. time we, we should really talk about the fall, should we, at some stage? That was my yeah. first exposure to the fall was okay. on Granada doing his industrial estate. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that that was my first um, exposure to the fall. And, you know, whatever, you, you can say a lot of things about the call, but my God, that's a catchy song. 
It is, yeah, yeah. My God, even my kids now, my kids, when they see a sign, we, 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 when we're driving through Bredbury or something like that and we, we see it. a sign that says industrial estate, my kids will start going, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> in the back yeah. of the car because it's the catchiest song, you know, ever written. It's brilliant. <laughs> wow. Um, so that was my first exposure to, to, to the fall. Again, it's that Granada Land effect. Of, it is, yeah. Well, would you hooked up with them by then, Steve, when they were all, I think no. you had no, uh, not uh, not when they filmed it. I, I, I'd met them somewhere in between it, it, them filming it and it coming out right, and okay. it being on. So I, I didn't know them when they filmed that. Yeah, because that was actually, it was, if you watch it, it's really well filmed. Yeah. It's on really it's good, pain. it's really good quality. It's really well shot. And again, sorry to go on about it, but that again, that's the Granada effect is that you would have, you would work with camera operators and sound mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. and editors and things like that who'd worked on, I can remember going, going to film like some news item and the guy who like shot it had, had, had worked on blooming Jewel and the Crown. <laughs> or I said revisited yeah, yeah. and I remember editing something with a guy once and I said oh you know what else what else have you done and he said oh you know I, I, I've done the ups so I said what, what do you mean I said I've done the ups you know 7 up 14 up 21 up oh, right, okay. wow. the greatest documentary series yeah, ever made yeah. And this guy who's editing my little piece of nonsense had worked on the ups, you know, so that's what it was like. And that's another reason why I think a lot of the bands were really, really well served by Granada because they had this amazing talent working on it and make it. Go on YouTube now and I will look at that. Yeah. It's Psycho Mafia as well, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. The Joy Division one in particular is really good, isn't it? The, yeah, totally. And they got that you know, and they got that footage, which was world in action footage of motorways yes. and, like that, well and put it over the top of it and stuff. You're talking about people who were and in many cases are the best of the best. Yeah. The best of the best. And because Granada was a pool, sometimes the best of the best would be working on, you know, cracker with Robbie yeah. Coltrane or something like that. And yeah. then another day, they might be out filming with me and filming a band or something like that. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I get that at TV Southwest in Blooming Southampton. No, you don't. We, yeah. oh, you don't. We, were on, um, we were on Granada Reports one time. I mean, I think they only show, ended up showing about 15 seconds. seconds of it, yeah. But it was, um, so who was it? Was it It was Richard Madeley, wasn't it, introducing us? You know, at the, at the end, and then now just to, to play us out, is the yeah. Paul doing solicitor in studio. Yeah. So, there, so that there's a, I'd love to see a proper film like that because there is yeah. only the film taped off the TV. I think that's what we used to call what we used to refer to as uh, under the outro. Yeah, which was that you would have a certain amount of items and things, which was you would put them on the running order un, under the outro in case something went down or something went wrong. Right. Okay. And then you could drag them up. So yeah. it could be a brass band from Oswald Twistle. Or it could be, you know, the St. Winifred's Choir, or it could be Joy Division, or it could be The Fall. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So depending on how short of time we were or how much the, the running order had changed, that depended on how much airtime you got. So sometimes yeah. you could get like 15 seconds, or fortunately, like for the case of Joy Division, we got basically the, the full Monty. Yeah. So um, it entirely depended on on what chaos had happened during right. yeah, during, during the program, you know. Yeah, yeah. So when did you see the use of all live? Then how early on were you involved? In so the I started going. I started going to gigs in the kind of very very early. 1979, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cause going into Manchester, I, you know, I grew up in Altrincham and so going into Manchester was, uh, became my addiction. Yeah, you know, me too. I, was, mm. I was addicted to going into Manchester and I'm sure like a lot of people and I'm, sh- you know, I'm sure we've got a shared experience here. You're 14 and you start, you, you know, you're in pips. And yes. you're in the clubs and you're in stuffed olives and you're in, you know, you're in the squat and you're in here, there and everywhere. And you're yeah. trying to blag your way into the university and stuff like that when you're 14. I mean, yeah. I think about it now with, with my kids, you know, I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, if, if my kids had done what yeah. I was doing when I was like 14, 15, you know, gone and have a heart attack. 
Um, yeah, yeah what's, so what's that? the club at 14? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, or the Osborne Club. Do you remember the yeah. Osborne oh, Club? God, the Osborne, yeah. Yeah, that was, I remember seeing, you go there and you'd see like, you know, angelic upstarts or cutley rejects and things like that. And they were like big fights with, yeah, with, gig, with gigs occasionally breaking out. Yeah, you know? no, yeah that's right. Um, they were pretty malevolent places, some of them gigs, yeah. weren't they? You got off the bus there and you, you, you get off the bus and you'd run into the venue. <laughs> and and again, this is, I'm sure, you know, you lads can probably relate to this. You know, this this is punk, 78. Yeah. You know, I started kind of dressing punky in sort of late 77, that kind of thing, 78. And bear in mind, dressing punky at that time was wearing straight leg jeans. Yeah. If you wore straight That's leg it, jeans, yeah. you'd get chased down the street. Yeah. yeah. The, you, if that, the whole thing about, you know, it came much later, I think, you know, when you see that like, they try to recreate gigs and they've all got bloody Mohicans and yeah, yeah. dog, dog Nobody dressed like that, did they? Have you ever, seen, no. that? Have you ever seen that picture of the queue for the electric circus? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone's got flares on. And- yeah, of course they have. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and, and you could get chased down the street for having slightly short hair. Yeah. And and so and that was so that was the kind of boldness of it. So then I I would be seeing the fall at the university and at the polytechnic and stuff like that. And yeah. um, and I can remember particularly at the university really sticks it in my mind because uh, Mark Smith was having was very very cross about something on stage. I don't know. If this is obviously a bit. Of, this is a bit of a scoop for you here, lads. You know, <laughs> yeah. but, <laughs> what do you mean? Um, yeah. And, he was, and he, instead of his usual kind of target, his target was the sound man. And he was banging on about it. Sounds like a whirlpool up here. Sounds like a whirlpool. It's like a whirlpool up here. Like a whirlpool going on and on and on. Yeah. And I thought, oh, is this a new song called Whirlpool? <laughs> <laughs> and I genuinely thought, oh, this is like a new song called Whirlpool. And it wasn't. It was just him going on about the sound. Yeah, sound yeah. like a whirlpool. He did, have a, he did have a right go at sound people at times. If yeah, he, yeah. He was, yeah. So that, that's, it was that. I mean, again, I think um, – uh, I think Stuart Lee mentioned this, you know, in, in one of your other programs. That there was always this feeling with the fall was like, "Oh, should we go and see the fall on Saturday?" He says, "Oh no, I'm, I'm going to go and see, I'm going to see the skids at the Apollo." Um, uh, but it'd be all right because we'll go and see him again in another couple of weeks. Because say what you will about the fall, very hardworking lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very professional. Professional, <laughs> hardworking. Yeah, but that's the thing, you know that's. People who say, "Yeah, I worked with him briefly and I'll interact with him," and he was really, really not. None of them are sound men, are they? No, all bass players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, speak as you find, lads. Speak as you yeah, find. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's that's. Uh, we were talking to uh, James Brown last week, and he was saying he was all. He always made a point of being polite and to. You know, people who were working, like, so a barmaid or, you know, a waiter or anybody yeah. who was, like you say, if there was on a programme, someone, a runner or whoever. Absolutely. And that, that, is the, to be polite to those that is the test of, you know, whether someone's a dick or not is well, how yeah. they talk to, like, in, in television, because there's a lot of dicks in television, trust yeah. me, is how people talk, how people talk say to about the, the lyrics to Solicitor in studio. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Young dicks make TV. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you can tell. And, you know, and, you know, bands have come into Granada giving it all that. Yeah, yeah. You know, giving it all that and telling the, we had, you know, I remember, you know, on the, you know, towards my end of my time there, a band coming in and um, a very, very well known band coming in. And literally the first thing they said to the, um, uh, re, the runner was like, right, we want you to toddle off and get us some coke right now. That's yeah. your job. That's your only job. And like, you know, no. absolute. Go on. Absolute Charlie's. Absolute <laughs> Charlie's. <says>. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually a band I happen to really like, but um, that's, you get people who are like that. Yes. Uh, who, who are not nice. No. They tend to be nice to the producers and the directors and the cameramen, but they can be right nasty with the runners and this that and the other yeah. and you know like you know Mark we had Mark was really nice and we actually had to get like, it's all coming back to me now lads it's all coming yeah. back to me um, we had um, we had these bottles of uh, I think the Budweiser or Bex or something like that 
but obviously you're not allowed to show uh, it, it was Budweiser um, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to show like labels and things like that on telly yeah. so we had we had the the, the, uh, the uh, girl who worked on the program and she had a pen knife and she was underneath the table scraping the labels off these beer bottles so that Mark could drink them on camera. Yeah, right, okay. Um, but the trouble is he was drinking them quicker than she could scrape the labels off. <laughs> so I still That's got this cool. image of her underneath this kind of out of view going, <laughs> trying to scrape these labels off. Um, you know, happy days, happy days. Yes, but yeah, yeah. nice as pie. And, he, you know, and actually most people are, you know, the, the, the divvies are – in my experience, you know, the, the, the minority, fortunately, yeah. you know, and you know, it's that thing of, you know, meeting your heroes and, 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 and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, most of the heroes I've met have been, have been brill. Right. So the other thing I was going to ask about, well, we'll have to get onto your, uh, your later writing career because I was fascinated by that, the kind of switch between without, I'm not trying to denigrate, but the kind of pop kind of books you were writing to the, the, well, there's the pivotal moment in there. Well, I'd probably not the place to go into what made you change from t- into into darker waters, shall we say? Uh, you'll have to but, come um, and see me at Edgeley, lads. And you'll have to go and see me at Edgeley. <laughs> but but um, the the I need to I want to ask you about Mank Noir, the the uh, the books that you've written, the three books. I'm halfway through. I'm taking Black Moss on my holiday tomorrow to finish All off, right. which I'm really <laughs> enjoying. It's an well, ideal I, ideal holiday read. Of, it is, uh, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I mean, murder yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I asked you this question at the um, at the event about when you first started writing crime fiction. Did you know the rules of crime fiction? And it, well, I think your an- your answer was very good. You, it was basically no, wasn't it? Basically, yeah. And and I didn't. It was it was you know I was the the music books and I've you know done all sorts of music books and stuff like that. And I was you know a professional music author and people publishers knew that they could ring me up and say you know can you do as an Ed Sheeran book you know sharpish and they knew that I could do it and I'd do a good job and bang it out on time and we wouldn't get sued yeah and um, in fact my world record is um (laughs) so I don't know why I'm laughing it's not funny um I got rung up by publishers and said right um we're thinking of doing a book about George Michael for the first anniversary of his death I said, "All oh, right, yeah, okay, I can I can see that working. Um, it's going to be lots of pictures, but we need the words to go with it, you know, about 20,000, yeah. something like that. Could you write it about George Michael? I said, yeah, okay, yeah. And they said, right, thing is, we want it for Monday. What? And it was, um, they <laughs> rang me. What day was it? <laughs> it was uh, Monday afternoon. So they wanted it for the following Monday. <laughs> and they said, we know it's a tall order, but, you know, if you make it, we'll give you, we'll give you a bonus. And uh, I, I got my bonus. Wow. So, um, you know, so I was, a, you know, a, a good professional. Sometimes I was writing books that I wanted to write, like the Tony Wilson book and 1975 and stuff like that. And sometimes you're writing books because, you know, you could do with a new bathroom. Yeah. And, um, and that's, 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 you know, that's, you know, very professional. Course, and, yeah. um, but yeah, so I, I you know, I, I, I got involved in a sort of a case, you know, from, you know, a, a terrible sort of true life crime case. So I wrote a book about that because I had kind of inside knowledge of it. And then that kind of put it into perspective a bit, maybe. I wanted to write about things that um, I thought were important, yeah. like child protection, um, you know, online grooming, the rise of the far right. You know, I had Tommy Robinson standing as my MEP in Stockport. Uh, no likey, no likey. So um, things like that that were kind of making me angry, but I, I didn't have a, an outlet for it, obviously writing books about Ed Sheeran and stuff. So um, so I, that's, I channeled it into these kind of, you know, what we now call Mank Noir books. Uh, which I've done three, you know, Black Moss, Mermaid's Pool, and now the the Ballad of Hanging Leaves, yeah. and I'm able to channel in the things that I am angry about, yes. and kind of couch them, hide them under the guise of um, of crime fiction. And actually, it's not really crime fiction; it's me banging on about things that I'm really angry about. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is. Is it? It's easier to tell the truth in fiction, isn't it? I think in some ways about some of these things because. It's very difficult if to get the, across the actual f- feelings that people have about some of these events. If you just sort of tell them what really happened, you know, do you know what I mean? There's a there's a thing with fiction where you can get to a greater truth, 
I think. Yeah, in a funny way, you can say things in fiction that you can't say, that you would like to say. Yeah. But either because the, the lawyers won't have it or this, that, and the other, you can't say in factual books. And I've, you know, I found that out to, you know, to my cost. Yeah, you can be, yeah, because yeah. I can remember, I, I, you know, I wrote the first kind of, you know, non-music factual a book I wrote about, which was about, it was involving the Catholic Church. And um, I can remember going to all these insurance companies, trying to get see if I could get insurance against me being uh, sued by the Catholic Church. And not a, not a single place in the country would touch me. Not one. Wow. Uh, so, and that reminds you of you know the, the t- you know telling the truth can uh, can be a costly affair, but it's very hard to 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 do that if it's fic- if you say it's a work of fiction. Yeah, <laughs> you can't uh-huh. sue me. It's a work of fiction. So it's amazing what you can get away with under the guise of of uh, of a crime thriller. So yeah. I on a pot unapologetically I write about heavy things but mm-hmm. um, in, in the guise of crime fiction but also I, I like to think with a certain kind of you know you know a, a kind of a very Man- Manchester kind of humour to yeah. it as well the very sarcastic the very people take the piss out of each other in the books yeah. and, and that's what it's like you know I was a crime reporter and the darkest of humour is found between crime reporters and the police yeah you know just because it's it's the it's the way you get through it's it, you know. Where you cope with it, yeah. I mean, with, without a flippant tie back, well, there's a lot of that in the story of with Ian Curtis. There's a, they, they they cope with that, don't they? The band cope with that with a lot of dark humour. I think it is. It, 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 and you know, this kind of like very kind of Manchester shrug of the shoulders of yeah. like, oh, you know, see a rehearsal tomorrow then. Yeah. kind of thing and it is a kind of a, a dark story but you know if you you know I did a book about Bernard Sumner and a lot of the stories there particularly from uh, Terry Mason who was the you know the guy yeah. who was there right from the start Terry and Terry's yeah. a good friend of mine now and uh, some of the stories you know they're just cracking stories funny yeah. funny stories and I think it's a bit of a shame when you see things like you know films like Control and stuff like that you're like you know where were the laughs yeah, where, where where was this notion of young lads just having a laugh and having yeah. a having a whale of a time and and up to up to mischief? Where was yeah. that? You know, and, I th- and I, I, it makes me sad a little bit that there is people people want things to be a certain way. They yeah. want the fall to be a certain way. They want Marky e. Smith to be a certain way. They yeah. want the Joy Division to be a certain way. They want Tony Wilson to be. You know, people want it in a certain way. And when you actually present, you know, the reality, some people don't like it. It's, you know, it's the you know, if you've got a choice between you know the truth and the legend, print the legend. The legend, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, no, fuck off. <laughs> no, how about this? Yeah. If the truth is good enough, it'll become a legend on its own. Yeah. Thank you very much. You don't have to yeah. polish it or embellish it or add any whistles and bells to it. If it's good enough, if the truth is good enough, it'll become a legend itself. Thank you yeah. very much. And I'm I'm very much of that view that tell people the truth and then, you know, if through that it becomes a legend, brilliant. But I mean, then you get back to this thing about the. I swear I was there. There's more than one truth, though, isn't there? Yeah, there, there, there is, and you you lay them all out, and then the people argy bargying with each other, you know. Um, um, it always makes me smile. Um, Ian Moss, who's in in, in the book, uh, oh, who's, who's oh, a good yeah. pal of mine and a great, 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 great bloke. Yes, oh, absolute cracking bloke, Ian. You know, we used to oh, I thought him. you just got him up out of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's, you know, he was saying, you know, you ask him, all oh, right, was Mick Hucknall there? And uh, and Ian says. I didn't see no Charlie Drake lookalikes. <laughs> you know, just just great lines. You know, great um, yeah. great one liners. You know that people come out with uh, either you know, and people who know they're being funny, and some people who don't realise that they're being funny. But you know, as long as it's funny. You know. Yeah, yeah. They're back to a bit rossy again, aren't they? <laughs> In a way, yeah. But again, it's you know, there's nothing more. You know. I'm struggling to think of another book where it's a music book that is genuinely funny. Yeah. 
genuinely funny. And we've got pre- pre- present company accepted, yeah. obviously. <laughs> no, no, sorry, you must, you must, you must have misheard me there. I'm struggling <laughs> to think of any books at all. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. But, it's, but music and humour don't sit very well together. No. And particularly Manchester music, because it's supposed to be this thing, isn't it? Yes. Mm. It's supposed to be, you know, you know, on the bridge, in the snow, you know, yeah. Anton Corbin pictures and all that Driven kind of industrial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's supposed to be that. But actually, it's funny. You know, you're yeah. talking about funny people who've done some funny things. And um and, and very often we'll say them in a funny way. Yeah. So um that's great. You know, I, I mean I, that, that's I, one of the things you can say about Marky e. Smith. A lot of people miss the humour in you know in what he was saying. People you know, people treat his lyrics with a kind of this kind of reverence and but there's a lot of humour in there that, that either people don't pick up on or don't want to pick up on I think. I, I think I think that's a very astute comment actually that people don't want to. Yeah. They'd, they'd rather have it, you know, like a bit like that mosquito in 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 Jurassic Park, you know, that's yeah. set in set in the amber. Yeah. And it's preserved just like that. Yes. Just perfectly preserved. That that's how they want it. And yeah. um well, you know, I mean I'm not your man <laughs> in that case. Because because yeah. that's not what it's like. You know, that's you know, you know, and and that's not what, as you say, this idea of like, oh, oh, it's 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 punk rock. Let's have loads of people jumping up and down in with Mohicans because it's the Sex Pistols. Well, it, you know, you people, you know, people were still wearing flares until the early eighties around our way. Well, so this, this notion nobody, of, nobody had the money to go out and get a new wardrobe just because it changed on your own, did they? That's, <laughs> you? Know, and that's another one. That's a cracking story. There's, uh, I think Pete Shelley tells this story, and I swear, I was there about, and it's not the kind of thing you could use in the program, but you use it in the book, whereby you're talking about Howard Devoto going to a tailor's to have his trousers taken in. <laughs> and um, and the tailor is saying to him, look, once I do it, you know, I can't undo it. You've ruined a perfectly good pair of trousers here, <laughs> Howard. You know, and all these people trying to talk him out of having his trousers taken in, because uh, and which is great because you couldn't, you know, you know, you, and, and you know, he had to really save up to buy yeah. a pair of like straight trousers from yeah. the back of Sounds from those. Do you remember those adverts in the back of yeah, Sounds? Yeah. T-shirts and all that, yeah. yeah. all of that. And, and I can remember buying a pair of PVCs. Again, this would have been about 79, I guess, 78 or something. And buying a pair of PVCs from those. And I wore them once and all of the plastic fell off them. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, they looked pretty cool because a few bits were still left. They looked quite funky, you know. And, you know, to, to buy the, you know, the gear and go to, do you remember Roxy in the underground market? Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah, to go go there, which was, and Roxy was like, ah. Uh, it was our version of sex on the King's Road, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And to go there and buy a T-shirt or buy a jumper or something like that, you're talking about, you know, that's that's a lot of Saturday job money, that. Oh, ah, yeah. And, yeah, so it, this notion of, of, oh, right, you know, all the Sex Pistols were played, everybody's got a Mohican, is a, <laughs> is a nonsense. Yes. Well, I think that that was one of, certainly with the fall, the never, Martin Mark, you know, you got a thing where, you know, you put on a smart shirt, or, you know, there's no way he was ever going to be, uh, you know, Sid Snot or anything like that. It was there was a, that kind of working yeah. class. You want to look smart, don't you, when you go out? I think. Well, it seemed it seemed to me, looking at it and watching, you know, watching you on stage and watching the four like on Granada and things like that. That that to me seemed punky to yeah. to to be wearing not, not even you know straight like parallel jeans. <laughs> yeah. I mean? yeah, yeah, parallels, yeah. To wear parallels was punky because yeah. you could get beaten up by, you know, the whoever, by the Perry boys or whatever. You could get beaten up for wearing those or you could get beaten up for wearing, a, you know, a, a, a Harrington jacket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Stakes were pretty low. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so this notion of – and then the weird thing was, you know, then literally, uh, you know, like 18 months later, you'd be on the bus um, going, you know, on the 261 bus to uh, to Pips, you know, yeah. and wearing makeup and all the rest of it. And then, yeah, hell, I tell you what, you, you took your life in your hands. <laughs> you know, I it, was that it soldier. It sound like we spent our whole lives getting beaten up. 
<laughs> well, I mean, that's about the truth, though. Running there was away, a lot of effort in not yeah. getting beaten up. I think yeah. you always had yeah, one eye on away. your shoulder, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, running away. Yeah, but <laughs> largely, yeah. But it was to get onto a bus and go into town dressed not in the norm. Yeah. Was yeah. was quite you know particularly for a young you know I was you know fourteen fifteen you know in the late seventies that was quite a I look back and thinking that was quite a ballsy thing to do that yeah actually. yeah. Um, kids well, today, kids today. today. <laughs> I don't know the ball, do they? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've reached the end of our hour, David. That was absolutely fantastic. Fascinating. Did we talk about the fall in the end? Look yeah, at <laughs> Touched on it. Loads of, loads of people talk about the fall. Yeah. Yeah. They do, don't they? But not many people talk about getting beaten up on the 261 bus <laughs> for <laughs> bus. <laughs> All night, Christ, yeah. Right, well, that just remains to thank you for uh, coming along. Yes. That was really, really good. Thank and you. You should, if you can get to that uh, library thing, Steve, or anybody listening, if you can get along to see yes. David speaking, you really should do it because it's a fascinating story from start to finish. As I say, yeah, there's, a bit, there's a bit in the middle that we didn't touch on that... It's de- definitely worth hearing. It's not. It's not exactly light entertainment, but yeah. No, I always say to the library folks, I'm gonna. Do, you know what I'm gonna do for you tonight? I'm gonna do you the best author talk you've ever had. <laughs> that is what I literally say to him beforehand, and then afterwards they come to me and say, "Do you know what, David? That probably was <laughs> because it does take people by, by surprise." But yeah, loads of and yeah, all sorts of ones coming up at the library. Uh, you know, if you give us a follow. I'm, I'm on at Nolan Writer on Twitter. I'm always banging the new dates out. I'm going into January now, so next year. So uh, right. you know, if you've got a town and it's got it's, and it's got more than three books on a shelf, I classify that as a library, a library. and I will come and talk at it. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks a lot. That's great. Great. Thanks for joining us for episode two of series three of Old Brother. The next episode will be released in two weeks. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Old Brother Show, where you'll find links to our Spotify playlist, or why not subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher or RSS, so you'll be all set for the next episode. You can give us a rating on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, or just tell your friends if you fancy it too. For further reading, David's brilliant Manoir books are published by Fahrenheit Press. Our books about the fall, The Big Midweek and Have a Bleeding Guess, are available from Root Publishers and all good bookstores. Hope to speak to you all again soon, and remember, if you're driving, check your car. Ta-da! the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.